So last summer, I started yet another remodeling project at home. And we were preparing for the birth of our son Truman in October, and we decided that we wanted to repaint our bedrooms upstairs and put in new carpet. And of course, anytime you start a project, if it's remodeling, that project always grows. And so we decided not only were we going to paint, we were going to add a new carpet, and if we're doing that, we might as well put in new trim as well. And so our house um, had wood-grained stained trim around all the windows and along the floorboards, and the doors were uh, wood-grained as well. And we decided that we wanted to transition all of that to white trim. And so in that process, it's a lot of sanding and painting. And we get through the process, and I get all the walls painted and all the trim off and ready for the carpet to come in. And we had the carpet put in professionally. And then after that, it starts the work of putting the new trim on. And so as you put that on, you've painted it all white, and you nail it to the walls. But then you've got nail holes to fill and touch-up paint to do. And so I worked through that process, and I got three of our bedrooms done and three of the doors in our upstairs done out of the five and I said I am tired of filling nail holes and touching up paint and so if you were to walk to our upstairs today uh, you would see as you walk up to the hallway you would see the three bedroom doors all painted white and nicely finished and then you would see our bathroom door and our closet door still the original wood grain I got to the point where I was finished with that project. I declared to Lexi, I said, it's finished for right now. I'll get back to it eventually. And here we are almost a year later, and the project is still about 95% done. So we've got some time to go. And so I determined that that was good enough, that it was done enough for us. And last week, um, the last couple weeks, actually, we've been walking through a sermon series on Jesus's words on the cross. And last week, Pastor Mark talked about the words, I thirst, that Jesus said and that prophecy that that fulfilled. But also he talked about how oftentimes in life we thirst for things that are not correct. And God has created us to thirst for him, to be in relationship with him, to be near to him. And sometimes we misinterpret that thirst um, and we fill that thirst with the things of this world. And we're left dissatisfied. We're left longing for more. And Pastor Mark reminded us that that thirst is only fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in relationship with God. And so today, I've got the privilege of speaking into this series of Jesus' last words on the cross. And today, we're going to look at what he says almost immediately after he says the words, I thirst. And this comes from John chapter 19, verse 30. And it says this, that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. His final words on the cross, it is finished. But as I, as I read those words and I read that he gave up his spirit afterwards, I have to wonder what was finished. Was it simply just an end to his life on earth? Was it death finally overtaking life? Because on the surface level, when you read that, it just seems like Jesus is finally giving up, that he's 
finally ready to die, that he's had enough and he couldn't take it anymore? Or was it something that's so much more than that? Was it a cry of surrender and enough, or was it a cry of victory on the cross? But first, let's ask the question, what did Jesus finish? And I believe that he finished four things, among many others, but four main things. And the first is that his mission was accomplished. All throughout his life, Jesus showed us time and time again that he was a man on a mission, that he had a purpose, a clear focus for what he was supposed to do in his life. He was like a well-trained soldier entering into battle for the first time, or a well-trained and seasoned athlete stepping onto the court or the field in competition. He knew exactly what he was to do. He was laser-focused, and nothing was going to get in his way. Even at a young age, we see that Jesus, he knew that he was supposed to be all about his father's business. In Luke 2.49, we find Jesus and his family in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And as they were there, when the festival ended, his family all packed up and they left. And they actually traveled a day down the road before they looked around and realized that Jesus wasn't with him. He was a young boy at this time. A day down the road. Like, come on, let's think about that. Like, I don't think Mary and Joseph won any Parenting of the Year awards that year for forgetting their son in Jerusalem. And so when they realized this, they packed back up, and Joseph and Mary headed back to Jerusalem, another day's travel, and the scriptures say that after three more days, they found him in the temple. And when they finally found Jesus in the temple, he was learning from the teachers there. He was asking them questions. He wanted to know more about his father, God. And when they finally found him, Joseph and Mary asked him the question, what are you doing? You scared us to death. Why weren't you with us? And this is what Jesus responded with. And parents, think about this if your kids answer you in this way. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Jesus asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? You see, Jesus was on a mission. He was all about doing his father's will. He was all about glorifying God with his life. In Luke 9, uh, verse 51, he says that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus set off for Jerusalem knowing full and well that he would be killed. That he would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And I believe as you think about the mission of Jesus on earth, you can sum it up into one word. And that one word is rescue. That Jesus' mission was to rescue. And in Luke 19.10, Jesus is having a conversation with Zacchaeus. And Jesus tells him, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus had just been criticized for going to the house of a sinner, someone that wasn't worthy. And Jesus responded by saying that his mission was to save the people who needed saving. And Jesus saw their reputation for sinfulness, not as an opportunity or a reason to avoid them, but as a reason to seek them out. 
And time and time again, he brought a message of forgiveness, of rescue to those that the righteous people of that day rejected. Jesus sought out and he saved the woman at the well and the Samaritans of her town. Jesus healed the lepers, the outcasts. Jesus saved the sinful woman with the alabaster jar. And even one of his own disciples, Matthew, who was a tax collector. And we see that Jesus was constantly criticized for eating with the tax collectors and the sinners and engaging with them. And Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, and he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. So Jesus' mission that was accomplished was a mission of rescue. In John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, were the words of Jesus. And he brought glory to God by finishing the work that he had given him, by completing the mission that he had brought him to do. And so the second thing I believe that Jesus finished on the cross and announced the completion of was that the prophecies were fulfilled and the suffering was over. And in the Old Testament, we'll see 300 different, over 300 different prophecies, symbols, and foreshadowing statements of the coming Messiah. The Israelites were looking for their Messiah and they say, this is what he will do. This is who he will be. And so from Genesis to Malachi, over 300 specific prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. And it started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when it talks about the seed who would crush the serpent's head. In Isaiah 53, we have the details of the suffering servant to the prediction of the messenger of the Lord that would prepare the way for the Messiah. That was John the Baptist. All of these prophecies of Jesus' life, ministry, and death were fulfilled in his life, but also on the cross. In his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner calculated the chances of one single man fulfilling all of these prophecies, over 300 of them. Even down to our current year, if you look from all of the history of mankind, and he determined that the odds of someone fulfilling all of these prophecies to be one in 100 quadrillion. Okay? That's more than the stimulus package. Alright? That's a one with 17 zeros behind it. How can anyone think that Jesus just happened to be in the right place at the right time? In my opinion, to simply consider coincidence is ridiculous. It's not... It's not smart. Okay, it's foolish. To help you visualize these odds, imagine a silver dollar, an Eisenhower silver dollar. And now I want you to take a hundred quadrillion of those silver dollars and lay them out over the state of Texas. And when you do that, you will cover the entire state, the entire landmass, two feet deep in silver dollars. But that's not it. Now, I want you to take one of those 100 quadrillion silver dollars and mark it with a red X. And then throw it back in the pile and jumble them all together, all 100 quadrillion. And then find a willing volunteer 
and blindfold them. And then tell that volunteer that they must pick out the marked silver dollar. And tell them that they can walk as far as they want across Texas. But they have to pick up the marked silver dollar and they only get one chance. That's how difficult it would be for one man to fulfill these 300 plus prophecies. Unless he did so by divine appointment. And God sent this person. And so Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies with his life and his death and his resurrection. But Jesus was also well aware of the suffering that he would endure for humanity. He was aware of it from an early age. At the beginning of his ministry, he taught, he started talking about how his hour had not yet come and that his hour was coming. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said that the Son of Man would have to be lifted up. When he talked to his disciples, he referenced a cup that he must drink. He knew the suffering that he was going to face. And as the time drew near for him to suffer and to die, he knew it was coming. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and he asked the Father to take it away from him. And he said in Matthew twenty six thirty nine, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, in this moment, he was in so much stress and agony over the suffering that he knew he was going to face, the separation he knew he was going to face, that he started sweating drops of blood. And then he was arrested and accused and beaten and whipped, forced to carry his own cross and then nailed to that cross. He endured what is arguably the most excruciating death ever imagined by humanity. And in that, he bore the full weight of the wrath of God for a sin and for the sin that he did not commit. Yet he did all of this willingly without a fight. And Hebrews 12.2 tells us, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Jesus also, when he declared, It is finished, he declared that the price of sin is now paid and that a way to God was made possible. And Jesus said, it is finished after he received this sour wine. And when you look at the Greek word that translates, it is finished, it's tetelestai. Tetelestai. And that's an accounting term that means paid in full. And so when Jesus spoke these words, he was declaring that the debt owed to God for our sin was completely and forever wiped away. It was paid in full. And not that Jesus wiped away any debt that he owed God, but instead Jesus eliminated the debt that you owed for your sin. And so this mission that Jesus had come to earth for was to seek and save the lost, was to rescue. And with his suffering and his death, we were purchased by the blood of of Jesus. And his purpose was to take away our sins and to bear them as the ultimate sacrifice before God, the final sacrifice that was needed. And throughout the Old Testament, we can read of God deflecting the curse of sin and the payment of sin onto something other than the humanity that caused it. 
You look in the Garden of Eden and God deflecting the curse of sin into the ground and God creating skins for Adam to cover himself and Eve to cover themselves. You look at the sacrifices that the Israelites made in the temple for the payment of their sins. You look at the shelter that God provided with the ark from his judgment. You look at the sacrifice that Abraham almost had to do with Isaac on the altar. You look at the blood on the doorposts that the Israelites put there during the, during the trials in Egypt. You look at the lifting up of the serpent in the wilderness. All throughout the Old Testament, you see God providing a way out of sin, a way to pay the price of sin. But the problem was none of those methods were permanent until Jesus came. And Jesus declared, it is finished. I have paid the debt in full. And God affirmed that statement by rising Jesus from the dead three days later. Ascending him into heaven. Affirming all that Jesus said and did. And so now no work can be added to that because it is already finished. Salvation comes not by works of righteousness, but by God's grace alone. Fourth thing, and the final thing that I believe Jesus announced was finished on the cross, is the power of sin and Satan is finished. It is no more. And so no longer do we as humans have to suffer underneath the power of sin or the power of Satan. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about the armor of God that we gain in our faith in Jesus. And in verse 16, he says, in In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so no longer do we have to suffer under the attacks of Satan and be hit by his flaming arrows of temptation and sin. But instead, we can raise that shield of faith that we have in Jesus Christ and we can survive and we can live as new people with new life, as new creations. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this, that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, and that's Jesus, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, and that is Satan, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So by Jesus' death, he broke the power that Satan had over sin and death and over us. And so Jesus destroyed that when he declared it is finished. It has been paid in full. Going back to John 19.30, it says, When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Was that a statement of defeat? Is that a statement of surrender? Not at all. In fact, I believe that it was quite the opposite, that it was a statement of victory, a statement of celebration. And Jesus, he didn't just speak these words or whisper these words. If you look at Mark and Matthew and their accounts of Jesus' crucifixion, you will see that they said that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last And that he cried out in a loud voice and he cried, it is finished. 
for all to hear. He was proclaiming victory in the mission that he had accomplished. He was proclaiming victory in the God-given purpose that he had completed. He was claiming victory in the prophecies and the suffering that was complete and fulfilled. He was claiming victory in the debt that was paid in full. He provided a way for us to be made right with God and he destroyed the power of sin and of Satan. It is finished, Jesus said. And I don't know where you're at as I wrap up this message this morning and I don't know what you've been through this week, what you've struggled with, with the pain, the hurt in your life, what you've experienced, the letdowns that you've had. I don't know what fears or uncertainties that you're wrestling with, but I do know one thing. And I know that there is a God, the creator of the universe, that has promised that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you or abandon you, and he will always love you. And when we look around at our world, it's easy to see that it's broken. It's easy to think, shouldn't it be better than this? It should be. Our world, it's being ravaged by a virus right now. On top of all of the other problems that already exist in our world. There's pain and suffering and loss and brokenness and loneliness and depression and worry and fear, anxiety, and the list goes on and on and on. And I believe wholeheartedly that sin is the cause of all that is wrong with this world. And it began with Adam and Eve in the garden when they decided that they were going to be the Lord's lowercase l over their own lives and go against their creator. They missed the mark of perfection that God had set for them. And because of that, ever since that point, sin and death have entered into the world and have affected our lives and affected the world around us. And sin has brought about separation between us and our Creator. And it's caused us to fall into brokenness. A brokenness that we all struggle with. It would be easy for us to ask, where is God in all of this? Why doesn't God do something about this? Why would He let this happen? And this morning, I want to validate those questions. If you're asking those questions, that is okay. I've wrestled with those questions in my life. But know that there are answers to those questions. And believe it or not, there is hope in the midst of all of this because Jesus declared it is finished. And our hope this morning in the face of pandemic and isolation and separation and loneliness is that Jesus has finished his mission. That he's alive. That he's defeated sin and death by raising from the dead. And he offers us life and forgiveness. One of my favorite verses, Jesus tells us in John 10.10, that I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not just life, but abundant life. And Jesus offers us this forgiveness for the wrong and for the sin in our lives. And we're all guilty of that sin. Of turning our back on God and choosing to live life the way that we want to and not the way that he has created us to live. And because of that, we have missed his standard for perfection. 
But God desperately desires for all of us to be saved and for all of us to know him and spend eternity in his presence. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cost, the debt for our sin is death. And we deserve to die and be eternally separated from God in hell. But God stepped in. He sent Jesus on a mission and Jesus paid in full that debt that we owe. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And God this morning, hear me, is offering you life. He's offering you hope. He's offering you grace and mercy and forgiveness. So the question I ask you is, do you want that? In Romans 10, 9 through 10, Paul lays out a path for us to start on this journey of receiving the gift of life and forgiveness that God offers. And he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to start that journey of following Jesus and receiving the abundant life that he offers, all you have to do is confess and believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord over your life, that he is in charge, that you want him to guide you and to mold you and shape you into the person that he has created you to be. And then believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death, to offer you eternal life with God in his presence. If you've never done that, if you want to receive the gifts of love and forgiveness and grace from God, I want you to pray along with me here in a second. But before we do that, I want you to know that this prayer isn't the beginning and the end of this process of following Jesus. It's just the beginning. That after you pray this prayer, it is the beginning of a journey of God molding you and shaping you into who he desires for you to be. It's the start. It's the beginning. But if you've never received this gift, pray with me now and repeat after me. And I want you to say this out loud wherever you're at. If you're sitting in your living room, if you're listening in your car, wherever you may be, repeat this out loud and confess it. And let's pray. Dear God, I'm thankful that you are a God who loves me. I'm thankful that you are a God of mercy and of forgiveness. And God, I want you to be Lord over my life. I want you to guide me. I want you to mold me into the person that you created me to be. I'm a broken and sinful person. And I accept your gift of forgiveness for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and offer me eternal life with you. God, thank you for loving me. I am yours. Amen. And let's all pray together now. God, I just pray right now for whoever just said that prayer. Wherever they may be, God, I thank you that you love us and that you care for us. 
and that you forgive us for our sins, God, and that when Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, that is for all of eternity. God, that our sins that we've committed in the past are covered, that the sins that we're going to commit in the future are covered, God, and that you have brought us into relationship with you. God, thank you for finishing what you started. And God, I just pray that you would give us the boldness this week, the confidence in knowing that it has already been finished, that you are ours and we are yours, and that we will forever be there, that we will forever be in your hand. And God, lead us and guide us this week. Mold us into the people that you have created us to be. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his death and his resurrection. And I just pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning, I want you to know, if you've just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to remember that this is just the beginning. I want, you, I want to encourage you to reach out to us and let us know that you prayed that prayer. Send us a message on Facebook, get in contact with Pastor Mark or I, and we would love to walk with you on this journey and to help you follow Jesus. Or if you're not comfortable with that, go to someone that you know that follows Jesus and tell them what you decided to do this morning and walk with Jesus. We want to help you follow Jesus. And I want to leave you this morning with a benediction or a word of encouragement. And Jesus declared before his death, it is finished. And he has set you free and he has given you new life. And so our encouragement comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery.